One of the issues we currently face today in our city and our nation, for that matter, is there is a lack of concern that people seem to have for one another. No one seems to really care anymore. Remember the time when something would happen on your block or in your neighborhood, how that news would travel quickly? Remember the time in your neighborhood or in your block that if you were doing something you had no business doing, that your parents heard about it? And I never experienced this, but uh, they tell me that in some instances, your neighbors would even give you a spanking. This was uh, problematic because when you lived your life uh, in the neighborhood, there was really no good place to go and hide. Because everybody knew your business. You know, and the only way that most of you would do your dirt, that is, if you would leave the neighborhood. And even then, uh, some of you would reach a point that you would leave the neighborhood and uh, there were people who knew you in the next neighborhood. And how that information about all your business would travel all the way back to your home. But I know some of you, that you were so wise that you would even hop on the, the bus or the L or some other modes of transportation to get well away from your home to ensure that nobody sees you. But as you know how it happens with news, but there always seems to be eyes around everywhere. Now, even though that uh, there was no internet, no text messaging, not everybody walked around with a, uh, a camera in their hand, even though that was true, Somehow, word would continue to travel. Well, in this message today, we believe that God is going to speak to us specifically about our character. Right? But what does character have to do with the neighborhood? Uh, what does character have to do with people that know you and your news traveling all over the place, and you doing what you want to do. Somehow in our nation, we have lost our way. Whatever happened to those people in the neighborhood who would lead us and guide us when we'd gone wrong? What happened? I recall, and I may have shared this story with you before, that one time I was, uh, I, I purposely left the neighborhood uh, so no one could see me. And I went many, many, many blocks away. And I was a little kid, just, you know, I didn't do anything too bad. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, when I finished doing what I was doing, I uh, casually sauntered uh, back into my neighborhood and I began to walk down my block. 
and I made it about two houses on my block, and uh, my neighbor on his perch, he told me, I saw what you did. And I said to myself, first, there's no way that he saw what I did because I was too far away. So I ignored him. He says, David, I saw what you did. And then I looked at him and said, I haven't done a thing. You didn't see, you didn't see me do anything. He says, not only did I see you, I'm also going to tell your parents. I'm like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean you saw what I did? Uh, because... You know, I was in the, yes, I was in the other neighborhood, but I was too far away. In this case, this gentleman, he could see very, very well. And he could pick me out many, many, many blocks away just by sitting on his perch. And at that time, I did not know. Whatever happened to the time in which there were men and women who would be our examples of what it meant to be a godly man or a godly woman? Whatever happened to the time when people cared enough about you on your block that they will look out after you. I know times have changed. And I know that there's plenty of things going on, but there's something that is missing in our society. And in our scripture today, Paul also understands this as he addresses his epistle here to Titus. You turn with me to Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. As we walk through this passage over the next two weeks, we again dig into this aspect of character. Obviously, it is a theme that the Lord wants us to deal with. It is about our character. What is God trying to say to us about us? No, not about the person next to us, but what is God trying to say to me about me? So Titus begins here by talking about what an older man should be. Uh, please, verses 1 and 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Paul speaks to Titus, and he tells Titus that uh, there is an issue within the church. In fact, if we go to Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul clearly tells Titus this, verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remain into order, he goes on to say, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So part of Titus's responsibility was to uh, put the church house in order. It seems that the church had been planted and people had gotten saved and they now had known the Lord. But then there were some issues that were obviously dogging that congregation. If you were to think about it for a moment, we would also concur with exactly what Paul was trying to say. There are issues which occur in every single congregation. 
that must be addressed if it is to flourish as a testimony of God's love uh, into this world. Every single congregation, just as every single person has issues. And as we hear God's word week after week, and as he presents his word to us, we must ask the question, what is God saying to me? Not necessarily, I was so-and-so was here today, but what is God saying to me today? So Paul instructs Titus to teach the people of the church to not only to be of good integrity, but also to be examples of others as to how to live a life of faith. The question for us today is, how are we living our life of faith in front of everyone else? Are we still living uh, the same way we did when we, before we came to Christ? And giving the excuse, well, God is just, He's still working with me. It's okay for me to use explicitives, but understand that God is still working to me, but I want you to know I'm still saved. I want you to know that I can still steal and I can cheat and I can lie, but know that God is still working with me. You understand and consider how God wants to use you within the church. One of the immediate ways in which God can use all of us. You know, I know it's, uh, uh, it's one thing you see me in front of you week after week, or you may see uh, the praise... Uh, worship team week after week or you may see the praise dancers and you see those who are ministering regularly and you wonder where is my place in the church I believe here uh, Paul he speaks of that and he says this that one of the places that you and I have in the church is to be an example to everybody else so if you have not quite figured out, well, where is my place in the church? How do I minister that God may call you to minister as an example of faithfulness? Most of our actions and many of our words are always being viewed and watched by young and old. Amen? You already know that as you come and go that people are watching you. They're watching you, how slow you come in, how slow you go out. They're watching you, how you worship the Lord. Because what happens is, uh, whether or not they realize this, that they are uh, uh, creating a list. And I think uh, this is true of all of us. In essence, we are profiling. We are creating a, a profile list of how this person really is. Yes, I hear what they're saying, but how do they really and truly live their life? It is not good enough just to look good. However, when people know, when you know that people are watching you, but we also must look good for Jesus Christ when other folks are not around. We must look good in our homes, amen? We must look good on our jobs, amen? 
We must look good everywhere. We must look good when we're by ourselves. When you are in your room and you happen to stub your stub your toe that you know that the first word comes out your mouth should not be. But if you need a word when you stub your toe, it could be Jesus, help me. So specifically, however, Paul tells Titus, he says to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, this idea of sound doctrine is fundamentally or basically a teaching that is in good health. We'll hear about good health a little bit later, but I want you to understand that, however, he says teaching that is in good health. Typically, when we think of teaching, we mainly consider uh, the knowledge or information that is conveyed from the teacher to the student uh, for intellectual growth. Amen? We think of teaching that, oh, I need to know more of this, or I need to know more of that. And, and this is important for our faith, amen? This is the reason why on, on certain days we gather together to do what? To study God's Word. To get a deeper understanding of what thus says God. We must understand and learn about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. We must, we must know about the Trinity and redemption and the Holy Spirit. We must understand about the place of the church on earth, uh, eschatology or things of the last days. This is all true. We must know about this if we're going to grow in our faith. But if you notice in our text that Paul does not get into those things, that Paul is not talking about last days. He's not talking about uh, the oneness of, of God himself as portrayed within the Trinity. For Paul, the issue at hand was the believer's character. The believer's character was the issue for Paul. Have you ever noticed or considered that our character can also be in accord with sound doctrine or sound teaching? Have you ever thought about that? That one of the things that can be taught is our character. But how many of us want to sit around and learn what God wants of our character? We want to consider more of His Word. We want to put things in a theological constructs to understand so we can be an apologist for our faith, we understand all those things. However, have we ever considered the doctrine of our character? In other words, it would be like a father who is disappointed at their son or daughter for displaying a behavior that's not appropriate and how he would respond to that child. What do you mean? What would that father, what would that mother, what would that parent say to a child uh, that's not doing the things that they should be doing? That father or that mother would say, didn't I what? Didn't I teach you better than that? Teach about what? Teach about your character. Didn't I 
give you plenty of lessons to show you you're not supposed to act like that? Well, as I oftentimes uh, heard from my parents, is this statement. David, is this what you learned at home? That was so shaming to me. Shaming for a little bit because you know how kids, small kids can be at some time. Amen? Uh, they hear the lesson, then they turn around and go and do the same thing. So our very behavior and attitudes can also be or not be in alignment with sound doctrine and sound teaching. Now this is important for us as believers because our attitudes and behaviors should contrast those folks outside of the church. So folks in the church should look different and they should smell different as far as their spiritual fervor than those outside of God's church. It is not that we think we're any better than anyone else. Why? Because uh, the change in us is only possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The power of the Holy Spirit which courses through our veins, which teaches us to love God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is what they were up against in Crete. Frankly, this is what we are against in our world today. There will always be those who behave in such a way that it is clear that they don't belong to Jesus Christ. So Paul wants to set the record straight and get us aligned just in case we forget or never learn in the first place that there is an attitude, that there is a character that we're supposed to have. First up, older men. Verse 2, Paul says older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and instead fastness. He first says that older men must be sober-minded. In other words, he says, quit acting like you are drunk when it's time to make a decision or lead your family. This is what sober-mindedness means. It means to stop acting like you are drunk when it is time to make a decision or when it's time to lead your family. Have you ever known older men to be like that? That when it's time uh, to make a decision that matters, they act like, I don't know, and all these other things. But Paul says, old man of God, that you must be sober-minded. Now, by the way, I wanted to say, and I should have said earlier, that uh, if you leave this place and think that I have not picked on you, please come back next week. I will make sure that I get you next week. Amen? Amen. So if you walk out of this place and you do feel that I picked on you, uh, understand that when you come back next week that you might be off the hook. Amen? Amen. So what does it mean to be sober-minded? It means uh, not to be intoxicated by any outside influence which causes one not to think clearly or even to stumble at matters which causes the average person not to stumble. So how does uh, uh, this present itself in being sober-minded or clear-headedness? Paul says that this must be true for a man that is older within God's house. And as an older man, you can be under the un, 
do influence of talk about issues uh, to a degree where you are not able to make up your own mind. This shows not a dependency on God, but a dependency on the latest news before you make a move. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of times when we must gather information in order to make a decision. Amen? And oftentimes that this is wise. Sometimes you need to hear from someone else in order to make a decision. What Paul is saying, though, he's talking to that man that's always in that state. They can never make a clear decision. Paul goes on to say that this older man must be dignified. <laughs> you must be dignified. Some men are not treated like kings because they don't act like a king. Some men, they want to be a king in their household, but you're not acting like a king of your household. In other words, when it's time for you to be grown, you still act like you are 10, 11, and 12 years old. As an older person, you want to be known for behavior that is appropriate for your age and your maturity and your faith and the wisdom that comes as you grow a little bit more mature. This is something that you will not only uh, need to be, but something you should desire it as well. So older men, I tell you that you must desire to be dignified. That when people see you, that they would just simply want to respect you, even though they don't know who you are. And it's not like you are just walking in the room like you're bad, right? You don't have to walk in the room and say, yeah, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, get out my way, right? You don't have to do any of that stuff. It is just uh, the Spirit of God uh, which hovers over you, and your desire for obedience will automatically make you dignified. It also says that older men are to be sound in faith. And again, we found out that the word sound, that it means to be in good health. In other words, men, your faith must be in good health. This means that you must exercise your faith. You must nurture your faith. You must watch over your faith to ensure that it remains healthy. Now, I'm not sure how many of you can get healthy by eating junk all the time. I'm not sure how many of you uh, can get healthy by eating uh, moon pies uh, 24 hours a day. But you understand, in order to get healthy, that not only must you eat the right things, but you must do the right things as well. <laughs> so you men have been called to be leaders in the home and leaders in the church as well. This means that you must do everything that you can to grow and mature in your faith. And part of this is to understand the importance of our relationship with the Lord. Now, uh, one of the things I understand about men, uh, me being a man, is uh, it's very difficult to think in terms of, you know, how can we as a man be in love with Jesus Christ? Right? Oftentimes we men, we think of being in love as being in the romantic love with a woman. So therefore, for some men, they will automatically say, you know, that church or that Jesus thing, that's only for ladies. They'll say, you know what, no, 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 because they're in there, they're raising their hands, 
They're like, Jesus, come to me. Holy Spirit, come to me. They're like, that's effeminate stuff. Only ladies do that kind of stuff. How can I be related to Jesus Christ in a man's way? And I tell you, a man's way is to receive all that God has for you. So men are also to be those who are sound in love. So not only sound in faith, not only should their faith be of good health, but also it says that their love must be in good health as well in respect to people. So think of it. Number one concerning our faith, that we must love Jesus Christ. We must love God. But also remember that we must love people at the same time. We must love that gentleman or that lady within our faith. Even though they may sometimes get on our nerve, we must learn to love. But we know men, again, we can be harsh. We can be tough. We can be manly. But again, rarely do we picture many men as being loving. And I want you to know that if you're not loving and you really want to be loving towards folks and loving towards the Lord, uh, our Scripture tells us that it's okay to do that. That if you're a man, that it's okay to love God. If you are a man, it's okay to love another man. I love this brother right here. I love this brother right here. It's okay to love another man. But not the romantic love. Amen? All right, had to get that out the way. So uh, Paul has dealt with the older man. Now Paul, he switches gears to the older woman. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good. Now how women are viewed is, uh, does, uh, that does not mean that they should act that way. Now, what am I talking about? I, I'm talking about the fact that for many years in past, you know, women are seen as sex symbols, right? They have not been seen for their mind, have not been seen for what they can do. That does not mean because the world views you that way that you must act that way. Women used to be seen as helpless creatures. I remember when my daughter was younger that a couple of things I always used to tell her, I always used to tell her, I said, number one, I said, you're going to learn how to change a tire on the car. Amen? I used to tell my daughter, I said, you're going to even learn how to defend yourself. I started teaching her how to defend herself when she was little. Right? I said, because you need to learn to do some things for yourself. And in fact, you may not be strong enough to do all those things, but at least God will give you the wisdom that when some man calls himself working on your car, you will know whether or not if he's, what he's doing is right or not. So you don't have to be the one to actually do all the, the manual labor, but be wise enough to understand what's going on. It's very interesting. Again, while my wife and I were in Spain, that one of the things that we had noticed when we were in Madrid was the fact that we were in this, this parkway, this, 
this Palisade one, uh, I think it was a Sunday. And as we were walking down the street, uh, walking down this little park area, we noticed that how, how feminine the ladies were. I mean, you could look at them. It's not that they were walking around, you know, with short dresses on because they didn't have it. And I'm talking about older ladies and younger ladies. They didn't have, like, all these, uh, a whole bunch of them didn't have all these tight-fitting clothes. They were just casually walking down the street or sitting on the bench. And I asked my wife, I'm not sure if you remember that, I said, do you notice how much these ladies are actually looking and acting like ladies? Just everywhere. And it wasn't just like a handful. And I know for some people you may think that maybe it was the older women, but it was the older women and the younger women. They actually looked and acted like ladies. Now this is... Uh, not, I'm not talking about anybody else in here saying that you're not acting like a lady. I'm just saying that one of the things that we noticed, one of the things that I noticed, that they acted like ladies. In our society today, and we remember, thank goodness, that this fad has somewhat changed, that sometimes you can't, uh, you can't even tell the difference between a guy or a girl. Even those ladies who are real ladies, right? Sometimes you can't tell by the way they dress or the way they walk down the street. Somehow uh, they have gathered in their minds that they would rather act like a guy than a girl. I tell you ladies, look, don't act like a guy, act like a girl. Amen? This is how God has made you, and this is the way you're supposed to be. Amen? Amen. So the scripture tells us that our older women are to be reverent in behavior. To be reverent in behavior. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what does this mean? This means that if you are an older woman uh, and you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, uh, that you are to be holy in your behavior. You need to be holy in your behavior. I know, again, some people, they may say, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to be holy, but, you know, sometimes I got this little thing in me, I just got to act like this thing that I am. But I'm telling you that God says that you must be reverent in behavior, that you must act like you are holy. And if you're not, God wants to call you to task. Now, some women, as they get older and their children leave the house, they may have less and less work to do because at one time the children took up all their time. And as I have warned uh, ladies for many, many years that never put so much of yourself into your kids that you lose your own identity. Yes, it's true that those children, that they must be raised, but you are an individual, right? Uh, so I'm saying this because in some cases, that what has happened was once those kids get grown and gone, that sometimes some of the ladies, they decide they want a divorce because they have basically put their heart and their soul in their kids and their husband, they're like, you know, it's like he's always been at arm's length all this time anyway. And, and not only that, I don't even know who he is. So ladies, never put so much of your soul into your kids that you lose who you are. God has made you first 
to be in love with Him. Yes, take care of your kids, but don't forget who you are. You must develop your own identity outside of your children because if you don't, you'll end up disappointed with a feeling of worthlessness. So our passage, again in verse 3, it also tells older women not to be slanderers. It tells older women not to be slanderers. Now, I'm not sure if you ever considered what the word slanderer meant. But it comes from the Greek word diabolos. And if you know the Greek word diabolos, you know that we're talking about the devil. So then what is the connection? Paul is saying that some women can act just like the devil himself. How? Well, the word in this context, however, He's not pointing to the fact that they're acting like the devil, but the fact that they're speaking like the devil. Remember the devil, he is known as the accuser of the brethren. And through his talk, he divides the devil. He lies. He introduces hatred. And yes, that the devil, he accuses people as well. So what Paul says about the older women is that, look here. You must understand that uh, you have reached a point in your life that you can begin to slander other folks. Having said all of that, we must understand that just because you are an older woman, that does not mean that you have license to gossip. Amen? That does not mean that you have a license to slander or be irreverent in your behavior. When someone begins to take you down that road, don't go. Refuse to be led to a place where your testimony is compromised because you forget to be wise in speech and in the way that you act. Remember, it's not just about you, but it's also about the others who look to you and what Jesus can do for them in the future. Amen. See, we said earlier that people are looking at us in this place today. Whether you are young or whether you are old, know that folks are watching you as an example of faith. Now one thing I have to talk about because I haven't mentioned it thus far. How old is old? Some of you may have been wondering, he's talking about old men and, and old ladies. Do I qualify? I just want to let you know that if it just so happens that if you had a birthday on September 18th that you do qualify, if that's you. When do you become an older man and when do you become an older woman? Well, here it is. Here it is. Scholars have said that in certain quarters they consider you to be an old man or an old woman when you reach 44 years old. Uh-oh, I hear the sighs and all the other stuff. You have become an older man or an older woman when you reach the age of 44. But here we go. I want to take some of you off the hook, though. But remember, life expectantly was a little bit shorter at that time. Amen? 
So therefore, we have to adjust that. So others would say that uh, what, really what they had in mind was you have to be the age of 50 or older. Unless, though, uh, unless uh, your birthday happens to fall on, on the 22nd of any, any, any given month, right? If your birthday falls on the 22nd of any, any given month, then you're good. You are exempt. So how old is old? I guess some people would say it would depend upon who you talk to. For most of us, old is uh, any age other than what we are. That's old. So the older men and the older women, however old that you may be, you must also be in the business of training and teaching younger men and women how to act. Period. Right? If there's someone older in your congregation, then they are to be your model. If you're the oldest in the congregation, you are a model. Amen? And you may be, even be younger and be a model to, to folks who are even younger than you who are looking at you. They're looking at your faith. They're trying to decide, how do I live the Christian faith? I'm, again, I'm not necessarily picking on anyone, but I am going to say this. I'm going to say this. Are people watching you whether or not if you arrived at church on time? And do you realize that some folks, some folks will realize that, you know what, well, it's okay if I'm a Christian if I always get to church late. That's okay. Because that demonstrates that, you know, it's like a give or take. But within our faith, we should have such a passion, we should have such a passion for the Lord that we are there ready to go. Amen? Amen. And again, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm just making a statement. And all I'm saying is that people watch. People watch you whether or not if you lose your temper like that. People watch you whether or not if you are ready to fight at any, any given moment. People are watching you. You mean to tell me this is how you live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ and that's the best that Jesus has done for your life? You mean to tell me you can't control your anger, you're lying, you're stealing, you're you mean to tell me yet you can't love your wife, a wife you can't love your husband? What has Jesus done for you? So however old you may think that you are, older men and women, you are very valuable to our church and our society. I'll say it again. You are very valuable to our church and our society. We already know that there's a breakdown in our nation. And again, if you haven't understood this or seen it, know there's a correlation between the lack of a strong presence of our older believers and the decline of our communities. Those believers who are willing to stand up. We can also attribute this to the fact that there's a decline in faith in Jesus Christ. But this is what Paul means when he tells us in Titus 1.5 to put what remain in order. He says, first things first. So Paul, as he begins this list, he says, first I need to speak to our most mature brothers and sisters in the faith. As you get older, your duty is not to disappear into the woodwork. Your ministry is not complete. I'll say it again. Your ministry is not done if you are still breathing God's air. You are to be a minister 
of the things of Jesus Christ. Now, you may have retired, or you may be considering retiring in the future, but know that God is not done with you. In fact, if you, uh, if you are retired, God can use you even more. So our older men and women, I encourage you to teach us, teach us younger people, how to mature gracefully. Show us what it means to be firm and unshakable, uh, and an unshakable believer who has trusted in the Lord and will continue to trust in Him. Teach us how to pray and not grumble when the going gets tough. Guide us as to how to be loving parents and grandparents. Tell us the stories about how God answered your prayers over and over again in your life, even though you knew that there was no way out. Our older men and women, our mature saints, would you teach us? Would you not go away without imparting into us what it means to be a true stalwart of our faith? Our older saints, we need you. We need you, Pastor Scott. We need you desperately. You have much to teach us as we have much to learn. Now even though some younger people, they will be a little snippy. One thing I've learned, I've, I actually I learned this lesson all the way when I first started teaching many, many moons ago. That when you're trying to teach people something, oftentimes they're not going to be receptive to what you're trying to teach them. Because they have made it up in their mind that this one way that I've done it, and this is the only way that I'm going to do it, and I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. I've heard grumbling from children. I've heard grumbling from the children's parents. Why are you going to make my kid do homework? That's a lot of work. However, as you stand your spiritual ground, amen? As you stand your spiritual ground, uh, that one of the things that you can expect as an outcome, that they will grow and mature and, and get better. And get better. So older men and women, even though they may be snippy, you just look at them. You look at them. Now, this is not a license for you to act a fool either. Because we also know that it ain't no fool like an old fool. Amen? So, we want you to be our guides. That even though we may grumble, even though you may not want to hear that stuff, don't you stop talking to us. Amen? You keep speaking to us. You lead us because you've been there and we're trying to get where you are now. If God grants us mercy and allow us to continue to live on His planet. So remember this. God is instructing you through His Word to become an older man and woman with godly character and godly leadership. As far as I'm concerned, when there's someone older than you, they are, they are your pastors. They are your shepherds. Especially, especially, and more importantly, when they love Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are here, not just for our church, but also for our culture as well. Brothers and sisters, 
I want you to know, older brothers and sisters, that we love you. We want you to know that we love you and that we respect you. And we want to hear from you. Love us. Guide us. When we begin to get irritable, ignore it. But teach us in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you because you have led us and guide us through your word. You have begun to speak to our older men and women in the faith. 